Hi, and welcome to In the Cosm. I'm your host, Canadian speculative fiction author, Kat Gordon. I've started this podcast so I can chat with authors and other creatives I simply fangirl over. I hope you enjoy diving into my microcosm and feel inspired to seek out the works of these amazing humans. Hi, I'm Kat Gordon, and today we're having what I like to call Season 1 Special Husband Edition. Because on this bonus episode, I'll be interviewing a human I've been married to for almost 30 years, brand new Canadian author Bruce D. Gordon. Bruce's debut novel, Dissatisfied Me, A Love Story, is a humorous mock memoir teeming with pop culture nostalgia. After working many years as an IT manager for the federal government, Bruce's love for creative writing was first sparked by the challenge of NaNoWriMo 2017. Since then, he's participated in NaNoWriMo each year with the goal of publishing a Dissatisfied Me trilogy. When not working or writing, Bruce enjoys playing guitar, watching superhero movies, and listening to Iron Maiden. Welcome, Bruce! Hey, hello, uh, wifey or cat? <laughs> I will accept both wifey and cat. Um, so I, it's, I, I, as I was saying to you, it's funny to welcome you into my microcosm because you're always here and you never leave. <laughs> I know. Aren't you lucky? I'm very lucky and welcome to my podcast. Thank you for having me. So um, I want to just dive in if that's okay with you. Sure. Go for it. So your very first novel will be out in September. Um, and can you tell us about Dissatisfied Me, A Love Story, how you came up with it and how you came up with that title? Oh boy. You know, it's one of those funny things because as you said, it is a mock, uh, mock autobiography and done with a bit of a humorous twist to it. And it's about this guy, uh, maybe not so coincidentally, but on the eve of his 50th birthday, uh, he's he finds himself alone in the basement of his room in his mother's home. And, you know, he's going through some of, some of these old boxes which contain items which mark milestones of his life. And so as he's sort of, so the book really is a reflection of his life story uh, as he's uncovering these old objects and remembering these things. And, you know, when you mix in, um, you know, your life story, of course, he's going to remember some of the history that goes alongside of that. And so being a, a child of the late 60s or born in the late 60s, he has a lot of nostalgic memories of his growing up in the 70s and 80s. So I mix in a lot of that, the pop culture influences there uh, because they too contribute to his milestones. Um, a little bit about how I came up with the title Dissatisfied Me. I always sort of say that there's a simple answer and a complicated answer. The simple answer is, well, my character, as you might guess, leads a somewhat in his mind, dissatisfied life. So because I write the story from the first person perspective, dissatisfied me sort of fits that mold. Bit of a longer thing and more, sorry, I get tongue tied every now and again. That's okay. My friend, my friend Diana Gunn says that we are writers, not speakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and I always make a joke uh, that people learn to speak Bruce, and I'm glad I've been married to someone for the past 30 years who's learned that language very quickly. I'm very fluent in Bruce. <laughs> the, uh, the, longer, the longer narrative about it, uh, the dissatisfied me, though, is uh, it sort of relates to how, how I started my writing journey. You know, and I started writing for a lot uh, 
I lack of a better word, you know, when I started blogging about 10 years ago and in my blogs, uh, they, my first series was called the Sunday Rants where every Sunday I would publish something about something that dissatisfied me. And I tried to throw in a bit of a humorous twist to it. Mm -hmm. The blog sort of evolved into Facebook posts, which uh, had a daily message and it was called the days of dissatisfaction. And every year I would have a hundred days of dissatisfaction and the people who followed me on Facebook started dubbing me Mr. Dissatisfied. <laughs> so then, so then you, uh, and so then I, and I appreciate this as a bit of a joke and it's a funny one. You, you reserved the domain name Dissatisfied Bruce to be linked <laughs> to my website. And I, I was so tickled pink by that. And, you know, uh, we started designing this character you know, wearing a kilt, you know, it was a sort of a cartoony character that supported the blog and it was, he was wearing a kilt, had a bag over his head. Uh, and I continued my blogging about around things that dissatisfied me, the days of dissatisfaction, uh, mixing with a lot of nostalgic elements as well. Yeah. Uh, and they all sort of tied together and they contributed to uh, the writing of this book. And, you know, I, I, I officially... On this podcast, I'd like to apologize to you for being upset when you came up with the 100 days of dissatisfaction, thinking, oh, wow, you know, I'm so glad that uh, you feel dissatisfied all the time. And I'd, I'd like to apologize for that, because if you didn't do that, you wouldn't have this book. <laughs> so, and people loved it. They looked forward to reading 100 days of dissatisfaction. Some of them wanted it to be a permanent a permanent entry, but you know it was hard being dissatisfied that much, to be honest with you. Uh, yeah, because you're married to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and here's the weird twist about it: every single time I hit day 100, I look back on the hundred days of dissatisfaction and would say to myself, "I have nothing to be dissatisfied about. In fact, I have a lot of good reasons to be satisfied." So it was a bit of a cleansing exercise, and it made me feel great at the end of it. Well, that's interesting, like for it to be kind of a cathartic thing. Um, I do, I do want to, like you touched a little bit about why you wrote um, this backdrop of popular culture. And the, that's what I really loved about your book was laced in between uh, what's happening in Rick's life is all the, the popular culture. I mean, you and I are the same age, basically. Um, and I think it would also appeal to people who are younger and older as well, because it's taking from the 70s to present day. And I just wanted to just ask again, why it was important for you to have, I mean, popular culture really integrated, because it's not just like a, 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 a little ethereal backdrop. It's almost a character itself in the story. Yeah, no, and, and it's very true. Uh, so apart from all the stuff that I just talked about, about how all these ideas connected together, uh, to me, pop culture is an easy reference for history. Hmm. So, um, and if you think about it, amazed me in my personal life, and maybe also being an only child, certain, certain ideas of the pop culture or certain elements of the pop culture have made strong, um, I guess, landmarks or uh, strong markers in my life. You know, and a very simple example, and I'm not sure this applies to everybody, but can you remember your first celebrity crush? I can, I can. I'd you dare share with us? Okay, please don't mock me. Um, it was Donny Osmond. He had those purple socks. I even got purple socks. <laughs> I, I just had this, I was young. I don't know if I was five or six, but I had this terrible crush on Donny Osmond. 
so it, it, it defined a marker because it was, and I had a similar experience too, when it defined a marker saying, oh, this is the first time I recognize or I remembered having a crush on someone, mm. you know, and sure there's crushes with people in real life, but really um, in my mind, you know, having a celebrity crush, uh, it, it marked a time and place in history. Yeah. You know, and you, you could also extend that further like maybe your first date what was the movie what was the first movie you went to on your first date okay that's amazing this is fantastic i know that too <laughs> yeah so do i and i'm embarrassed to say it was halloween too mine was octopussy <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no i really see that how how popular culture could actually yeah could be integrated with milestones and a challenge when you're writing over a 50-year period of someone's life, uh, it's an easy way of identifying those state markers mm. in the story. So people could say, oh, yeah, this is a the guy saw Videodrome. That's probably taking place somewhere in the middle 80s. Right. So it's a bit of a nice cheat for me as a writer. Yeah. Very cool. You know what? I didn't even know that. So I'm getting to learn things about your process. Isn't this well, fun? <laughs> it's for sure. <laughs> Okay, so I want to talk about another part of your book, which is almost like a character in itself to me. Um, music, you know, there's a band in the book, and uh, and and uh, because I've I've actually been in bands with you. That's in fact when we first got to know each other, we were in bands together. Um, so I know how much music means to you. Um, and can you share the role it's played in your life, in this book, your writing? Oh, so that's. Uh... An interesting question. So, uh, music has always, always been a passion for me in my life. Hmm. Uh, and, you know, there are parts of, uh, and again, it's a question what was the, uh, for me, is what was the first piece of music I listened to? What were the first songs where I consciously had a record and placed on the record player and started listening to? Well, for me, it was all those, uh, you know, those Disney type stories, hmm. you know, like uh, Robin Hood and, uh, uh, or stories like Wizard of Oz, which was, uh, there was a, you know, recordings made of the film score. Right. Uh, I still love those as a six-year-old and I would listen to them nonstop. And again, I spent a lot of time listening, memorizing. Uh, and as I matured, uh, a couple of things came very clear for me. Uh, I love music that was up-tempo. That had, it was just a, a narrow view of music at the time, but that was the only thing I really liked. Right. Uh, and as I hit teenage life, what was up tempo? Heavy metal. And so naturally injecting heavy metal, punk, those sort of influences into my character was very easy. Uh, I was, I am a bit of a music geek. I read up about the bios of bands and stuff like that. So uh, it, it was very easy for me to write about, you know, music and things like that. So yeah, very natural connection for me. Um, it's also in terms of uh, writing and creativity, I always listen to music, not just for the melody or not just for the lyrics, but for the layers. And so I always look for the depths of things. Mm. And so uh, I, I think even, uh, even though I play guitar and I haven't played much in the last few years, when I compose music, I would always compose in layers. And that sort of applied to my writing style too. So I would have layers of characters, layers of scenes, uh, you know, and, and how they all sort of relate. And that's sort of, you know, that's sort of my approach in terms of, thinking a little bit more than just linear, but, you know, bigger picture. And, and, and uh, the name of the fictitious band in your book is? 
Scottish rot. <laughs> <laughs> and you are Scottish yourself. You're like me. We're dual citizens. You bet. And um, I, I, I loved, I love Scottish rot. I, I uh, enjoyed. Um, <laughs> I enjoy their lyrics very much. <laughs> <laughs> But I mean, I loved everything about that band and what you put that band through. Um, I think it's a real fun element of the book. Well, yeah. And, you know, it, it was easy for me to, uh, it was easy for me just because I could, I can remember what it was like being a 16 year old. I, even though I learned to play guitar a little bit later, but the, the attitudes of mm. uh, being a, a teenager learning an instrument with, are still present. I mean, you thought you, you could do anything. You could practice for a few minutes and suddenly you think you're the best band since sliced bread. You know, and it's funny, I remember recording an original original song when I, you know, shortly after I learned how to play guitar and I played it for someone. You know, I was really proud of it and really excited. And the person looked at me as if I, you know, was growing another head. Oh my. <laughs> just, just couldn't understand it. But for me, it was my baby, you know, and I couldn't understand why no one else could you know, appreciate it. So, I mean, I certainly had those feelings and attachments early on in my life in terms of what it means to play in a band, uh, write music, and get that initial reaction from people too. Yeah, whether it's good or bad, it's still your baby. And really yeah. good or bad, that's all relative anyway. Um, I, I, I can definitely say that you are an excellent song composer. Well, thank you. Yeah, and an well, arranger, you're awesome. <laughs> um, I wanna switch lanes though. Because, yeah. uh, you know, we, we mentioned about NaNoWriMo in your bio, and this is, this is something I actually want to talk to you about. Um, I'd like to chat about how nano, the NaNoWriMo writing movement, say that five times fast, um, <laughs> has impacted you. Like, you seem to be really for NaNo, and I'm gaining enthusiasm for it as well. So can you talk to us about NaNo and, and how that sparked you as a, an author? Yeah, well, so, it, so for me, I always, I've always been one to need challenges to push me forward. Mm. You know, uh, many, many years ago, I, I took on the challenge of, uh, you know, learning to run a half kilometer, a half marathon. So it was just a matter of, okay, how do you get there? And you need to sort of have a bit of structures uh, really to get there. And, and I get, every, you know, people do things very differently. And I, I will never uh, say my way is the best way or anything like that. No, no, no. But what I loved about Nano is that it gave you a conscientious goal to work towards, mm. you know, and you could work towards that goal in any way that you wanted to. Now, at the time when I did it, the goal was very, I, I thought was very lofty. It was around 50,000 words to be written in a month. Yeah. Uh, but the whole objective was to get writing and encourage people to write and, and to keep writing, even when it's a little bit tougher to write, because some days you're going to have great days and other days may not be so good. Uh, so for me, it sort of inspired me to, uh, you know, just keep putting pen to paper. And even on those days that I struggled, I found, you know what? I discovered a new lane to write down in that struggle day. Nice. You know, I discovered a new prompt which I could write around and help guide me and point me in the right direction. Uh, and I've never been someone to structure myself when I'm writing. I've always yeah. had a little bit of prompts along the way, a little bit of markers and goals where to write towards. Uh, and Nano helped encourage that quite a bit. Very cool. Um, I, I, I tried Nano for the first time also in 2017. And uh, I, that's when I was writing uh, for the Stealth Lovers. And then in the spring in Camp Nano in, in 2018, I kind of finished the first draft of uh, 
the stealth lovers. And then I didn't really do anything with nano after that. And the pandemic, everything going on in the pandemic really affected my ability to read and to write. And this year though, um, Camp Nano was coming around in April and I thought, well, what I like about it is you can set your own word count. So I thought, okay, 20,000 words. I know how I feel with my body, my mind. I feel I can do 667 words a day or whatnot, right? Um, and then I met that and I was like, hey, and I think for me, it was it was going to that dashboard every day and just putting in the word count. Like I actually started to be excited about it. Um, and 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 that kind of prompting and structure, it just kind of helped rehabilitate my brain to to just get on the bandwagon again. And so um, I took May off and realized, you know, towards the end of May, I only really need about twenty thousand more words to finish the first draft of Iris and the crew tear through space. So <laughs> I set another 20,000 word goal and called it Catnorimo. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then I, and I hit it. And so now I'm kind of of the mindset of, Hey, if I ever feel like I need that little push, I'm just going to use the NaNoWriMo dashboard. Cause you can actually do things any time of year. Like if I wanted to write a novella that was 30,000 words or something, I could like, you know, and I don't even have to do it in a month. I could just keep on going. And uh, would you ever consider using the NaNoWriMo dashboard outside of the regular times or for smaller goals and such? Uh, I haven't thought too much about it. And I, I think partially because the November timeframe always held a special place in my heart because over the last few years, it helped me shape uh, some of my writings today. That said, going forward, uh, as I start new projects, I think I would. I think it makes sense to do that. It, they're small motivators, and it's a great tool to use. I especially found it useful in the last year, uh, where you know it's nice to see the graphs and the tracking of your progress, and it's a it's a nice little encouragement to keep you motivated. And and I have this thing about the digital stickers, <laughs> you know, <laughs> five thousand words, ten thousand words. I don't know. I just find that I don't. It just appeals to me. Yeah, well, there's small encouragements, and you want and you want to get that little sticker, and you want to get the and you want to be able to claim the prize at the end because some of the prizes are pretty cool if you if you reach your goal. There's prizes. Well, not well. They offer discounts and things like that. But oh, that's cool. <laughs> In fact, Scrivener, my first, so I use Scrivener quite a bit. I'm a huge Scrivener fan, especially when you're starting to draft out your work. It's such a flexible tool. But uh, I, yeah, I was able to purchase it from Nano at a substantial discount. Uh, I think it was available to winners, but I could be wrong on that. Maybe it was available to all Nano writers. Well, that's really neat. I'm going to actually look into that and see what else is there. Well, they had subscriptions to Grammarly and, and neat little things like that. Nice little tools to leverage uh, being a part of the Nano community. Nice. Yeah. Um, okay. So, hey, we're kind of zooming through this. Oh my gosh, that was a pun and I didn't even know it. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so um, I, I, I typically like to ask authors about what they're indulging in. Like, um, are there any books and series that you're into right now? You know, it, it's uh, these days I've been in this past couple of weeks, I've been indulging in Stanley Kubrick movies. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and it's one of those things where I, I've been, so I rewatched them all. Uh, 
one thing I, I like about a lot of the, the stories that uh, Kubrick chooses is that he likes to pick stories that have strong anti-heroes. And I've always been a fan of the anti-hero. A lot of the shows that I watch and love, yeah, they'll have an anti-hero in them. Okay. And so, uh, and just to say, list a couple, I mean, and, and they're the big, big ones out there, you know, like you talk about the Breaking Bads and you talk about uh, the Dexters and uh, Sopranos, uh, you know, uh, they all have, uh, you know, at 24, even Jack Bauer in there, you know, he's a, he could be considered an anti-hero. They've always been there as part of my interest that draw me into a story. So uh, generally speaking, yeah, the, those are the types of stories that interest me is when the character is far from perfect. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and they're always interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they're fun to read. They're fun to write as well. Yeah, um, exactly. I'm surprised you didn't mention all the DC series that you watched. Yeah, no, and uh, <laughs> no, and it's funny in, in your blurb at the beginning, you talk about watching superhero movies, and it's true. I mean, I do love superhero stuff. Uh, I have to admit, during the COVID, and I'm starting to feel this in the last few weeks, I've been a little bit oversaturated right. <laughs> with, with uh, the amount of DC. And, and again, it, it's part of how I do things. Like Nano, I, if there's a goal, I'm, I'm committed to hitting that goal, and I won't stop until I get there. Yeah. Um, with this DC superhero stuff, there's so much TV content uh, that was generated. Uh, and I look, I would say ca cautiously for DC fans out there that the uh, Arrowverse that's on uh, the CW network, there's some interesting storylines in there, but it really plays out like a soap opera and it can be slow and it can drag and there's a lot of space filler. And, and there's a lot of times where people are, are just talking about their feelings for about 20 minutes when they could just say in five, what they, you know, five seconds, what they truly feel. <laughs> you and the feelings thing. You have to understand folks that I, I, I watch stuff with Bruce and every time there's an overly, dis an over discussion of feelings, <laughs> he gets very upset. <laughs> <laughs> More feelings, we have to talk about feelings. <laughs> Uh, and the thing was, I never was sensitized to that before watching these DC things, because, you know, it's true when you when you watch constantly the episodes of Flash and the Arrow, you get you get bombarded with that. And it's sort of sad because you can have a really good TV show and they have one episode where they really need to talk about feelings. Yeah. And then I get this sort of adverse reaction to it. You're going to be OK, though. I'll survive. <laughs> OK, look, I. I've come to the last question. Oh, okay. Well, there you uh, go. Tell us a fun fact about yourself. A fun fact? I don't, you know, I don't know if I have a fun fact. I work as, you know, I'm a public servant, so that's sort of fun. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think you could do better than that. <laughs> fun fact about myself. Uh, okay, as a, as a teenager, I, uh, I used to play squash. And I was on the Quebec squash team for the under 16s. Okay. Why don't you tell the people about when you were in the Naval Reserves? Well, I was going to get to that, but is that really that fun? That's kind of awesome. You know what I'm talking about, right? That photo that we have of you downstairs. Oh, you mean the one, uh, the one that's on the wall here? The one with there's two ships and then there's you. That's a fun oh, fact. Yeah, that. <laughs> Why don't you tell people about that fun fact? Yeah, so I mean, uh, I was so I was in the Naval Reserves, uh, and one of the cool things I did when I was in officer training, was I was serving uh, 
I was doing some training on board a tanker. And one job a tanker has is to refuel destroyers or other ships at sea. And uh, part of that process, is they, they not only do, do they refuel other ships, but they also replenish them with other supplies. And they have what they call a jack stay line, which is a line that connects the two ships where they could pull using pulleys you know, all the, the provisions. So part of the fun that uh, we officer cadets had, had was uh, that they wanted us to have the experience of transferring people across between the two ships in the middle of the open ocean using these jack stay lines. So yeah, uh, we each took our turn to cut across the ship. Uh, I was the second to last to go and you know all the crewmen were doing all the work pulling us from ship to ship. And you know, as you're crossing the water, you're looking down and you see the wake crashing between the boats oh and it's gosh. pretty intimidating. You know that if you were to fall, you're gonna get washed away and, and probably lost at sea somewhere. But these crewmen, you know, they're tired. You know, and so as we're going across, you know, I heard someone from the, the other ship go, oh, this one's particularly heavy. And suddenly <laughs> we started to dip forward as the old crew were, and then they pulled it up. And of course I started bouncing away on, my on the line. They're hattling with laughter at their little joke, but I'm holding on for dear life. Oh. Never will forget that. It's been a great moment. Yeah, no kidding. My word. Okay, well, thank you so much for appearing on my little podcast. I really well, appreciate that. Thank you so that. much. And thank We're going to get some I cake out of this. <laughs> I think we'll have some celebratory cake. Absolutely. Folks, you can learn more about Bruce D. Gordon by following his website, dissatisfiedbruce.com. You can pre-order Dissatisfied Me, A Love Story through the Renaissance Press website. That's P-R-E-S-S-E-S, renaissancepress.ca, and from online booksellers, including Chapters Indigo. Transcripts for In the Cosm are available at catgordon.com. That's C-A-I-T gordon.com. Thanks for joining us. Take care and stay safe. <laughs>